The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. With my co-host, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you. As usual, Ethan and I are both certified financial planners. I have a master's degree in financial analysis. Ethan has one in financial planning. And uh, we've got probably close to 30-plus years combined of experience helping investors make smart financial decisions. And we created this show to help you do that uh, with sharing the best financial planning and investment Related ideas we can find, right, Ethan? That's exactly right. And uh, what are we talking about today on the show, Ethan? Well, that's a good question. I know we have uh, a lot of articles we were going to could peruse and, and discuss on the air, and, and talk about a few other things relative to uh, you know, the year end. Um, all the discussions in Washington, I think. Maybe do a little recap of you know I've had my my ear to the ground, as it were, in regards to what taxes might look like next year, and uh, you know a couple of other comments as well on that. Yeah, we got some advisory uh, news, uh, investment news I'd like to just click through, and then a variety of articles. I thought, um, since you mentioned it, we could do a little kind of what's what's in the financial news as we're getting to the end of the year here. Sure. And uh, a little of the vault type segment we do where we people made predictions earlier in the year, and I think we'll wait till we get to the end of the year to go through all of them, but... Uh, Predictions are already coming out for next year, so I think we could talk a little bit about that and uh, what's in different publications, what they're saying about the market and where to invest your money. We'll read it, we'll go through it, and then we'll give you our view of how to translate that. I think it sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. But before we do all that, Ethan, why don't you go ahead and give out our contact information? Okay, sure. Yeah, you can reach us uh, via email anytime you'd like at contact at empiradio.com. Uh, you can reach us via phone as well at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. That'll patch you right through to our live radio broadcast here uh, if you'd like to join the program. Um, if you'd like to talk about your specific situation and perhaps uh, get a second opinion in your portfolio or talk about year-end uh, tax strategies as they may apply to you, um, you know, there's still time before the end of the year to do that. So give us a call here at the Empirical Towers at 206-923-3474 and ask to speak with your Ken or Ethan, and we'd be happy to speak with you. Alrighty then. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> good stuff. All right, good stuff, Ethan. We encourage you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I may I elaborate a little bit. I met with a person today 
just about, uh, I don't know, I think 9 o'clock this morning here in Seattle. A uh, person who I've been sort of like, thank you, thank you very much. Good job. Uh, communicating with over the last several months, um, this person's looking for looking for some some unbiased financial advice, basically, uh, when it comes to investments and other things she, she has planned uh, with her her own business and things like that. But we got together and had a real nice discussion um, just talking about some of the year-end tax strategies. So um, talking about Roth conversions for her, if it made sense you know, in her situation to, to consider Roth conversions. Uh-huh. Um, she also wanted to make some portfolio changes to, to improve her portfolio in terms of diversification this particular year. And uh, she was, well, I, I don't really want to make the change because I don't want to pay the tax. And hey, I understand all that. But going through the portfolio, I, I pointed out how these some of these things could be really minimal in terms of tax consequences by selling some of the losers and, and also selling some of the gainers to that would offset each other and uh, being able to reposition the portfolio that way with very neutral tax consequences. And uh, I don't know, just very, very, I think, helpful and insightful information that, um, you know, she's visited actually several other advisors over the last several months and had, had not had such a thorough and, and in-depth conversation about her specific situation uh, until today when she got together with us. And, um, I don't know. I know we after the hour and a half that we met, she felt very, very comfortable uh, with our discussion. Felt that it was very, uh, very fruitful, very worthwhile coming in, and I think would help give her a better indication of the types of things we can do as advisors relative to other folks out there that she's met with who primarily talk about their investments and what what they do. But it, during the whole meeting, I was trying to uncover what what her needs were That's and discuss true. how we can we can improve her situation. Right. And then then obviously talk about how we do things that could address that. But uh, very fruitful and very very. Uh, a very good conversation. Well, that's great, Ethan. Very nice. Very nice. Well, um, let's dive into this. Okay. Let's talk. I, I've got a handful of articles here. Um, you've sent me some. Eric sent me some. I right. found some. I've got Wall Street Journal articles. And um, I thought we could take a look. And before we do, let's just do a quick update. I'm just kind of looking year to date right now um, on some of the returns. And I just want to kind of see where the market's at. Okay. Today was up. So this doesn't have today's uh, movement included in it. But it looks like, you know, small U.S. is up 18% year to date. Micro cap, close to 18%. Small value, 21%. Mm. Um, so they're kind of leading the, the way. Uh, U.S., just large company, S&P 500 uh, type stuff, 16.5%. So... Just as a uh, preface, it's it's turning out if we don't have a major market meltdown in the next few trading days of right, the year, right. uh, it's turned out a globally diversified uh, equity standard global equity portfolio that would have U.S. and international and emerging markets and real real estate all mixed in is is up uh, around eighteen percent year to date, uh, a little bit over that, Ethan. So. That's pretty exciting if we can close the year out at, at this level. Yeah, that's a good deal, right? You know what I mean? You know, especially in, in the face of the the types of adversity we've we've had out there uh, in the news with the economic crisis in Europe, in our our own um, budgetary and debt talks here in the U.S. Right, um, and, and and many many dire predictions for 2012. Uh, I remember earlier in the year there were several several folks out there. Expecting and planning for, in fact, severe recessions to hit in 2012. Um, it's interesting how that just didn't occur. <laughs> and in fact, market returns are pretty good for stocks and bonds, really across the board. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really interesting to see 
how things are 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 ending up for the year. Mm-hmm. Well, keeping that in mind, and I bring that up because I think you had an article real quick. Let's start with that, just about what um, somebody was predicting for 2012, and then we'll go through what I have for people's comments about 2013. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, actually, I think we had this on our radio program uh, back when it was initially sent to me. We it put was, it in the vault back right. then. Yeah, it was earlier on in 2012, I believe it was, uh, back in, in May or April. Um, a client uh, forwarded this particular uh, letter over, and I'm going to pull it up here. But um, basically, it was a very good, very good rationale as to why this particular person um, was expecting a severe recession in 2008. In fact, let me call it up here. I have it right here. We go. And it just didn't occur. And, but the interesting thing is that the, the article itself is extremely compelling. I mean, gee, you read this, you're like, oh, my gosh. This guy's he knows what he's talking about, obviously. Right. And I was very, even as an advisor who kind of reads this stuff all the time, I'm a little bit desensitized to it because I hear all these predictions all the time, and very rarely do they actually come true. Mm-hmm. But reading this article, it, it did put me back. like, man, this is not, not good news out there for folks. And so the name of the article was, Will U.S. Avoid 2012 Recession? This came out on April eighteenth, uh, two thousand and twelve, by A. Gary Schilling is the name of the author. So basically, the 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 forecast he had put together and outlined a, a four part series in this particular um, um, uh, magazine, uh, why he thought the economy and, and therefore stocks would be, would be crashing in two thousand and fourteen. Um, you know, why is <laughs> I love the music here it comes. Um, the reasons for the prediction of a U.S. recession in 2012. And the fact is it didn't occur. And in spite of all the alarm bells going off and in spite of all the the uh, concern over mm-hmm. the article this created, right? just didn't, didn't materialize. So if you had followed the advice based on the predictions of this particular person, who I have no doubt is a very smart person, just his crystal ball is no better than anybody else's. And therefore, you should not make, in my view, in portfolio decisions based on those types of predictions. you got to base them on your situation. Take the amount of risk that's okay to take, given your circumstances, what you're trying to do with the portfolio, and diversify like crazy. Own stocks from around the world and own bonds that are appropriate, appropriately diversified as well in terms of duration and credit quality. Well, let's not jump the gun just yet, Ethan. We've got a lot to go through here on our recommendations. <laughs> so basically, the uh, what you're saying is it was it, the prediction was we would hit a major, major recession. Yes. The market would decline significantly. Is that the consequence that exactly we were expecting? Right. And instead, as we just outlined... We had, if you expect over the long term, uh, most people have been talking all years we've been doing this. Um, we read articles that most of which said if we got between six and, uh, and eight percent returns in the stock market, that would be, that would be, uh, realistic. Yeah. And good. And to have a global portfolio with 18 in theory means you just got three years worth of returns if you're using their projections, right? Yeah. If you thought it was negative, right, you got an infinity's year's worth of returns uh, if you're projecting negative returns in equities this year. Um, so how do you make that up? You yeah. know, if you really thought that that's what you should expect, a 6% use missed three years, um, either yeah. you think the market's going to tank next year to make up for it, but um, then why weren't you in it this year, right? Let's go through some of these then. Um, so you forwarded this... I guess it's a website, Advisor One. Yeah. You get some, they publish information. And so you have, in the same day, I'm going to go through here, December 19th, two articles. One, um, Jeff Gunlick Investing Advice, Hold Cash, Fold Stocks. 
And uh, basically, Double Line Capital CEO Jeff Gunlick said, quote, investors should be holding cash in this environment. I read through the article. And basically, he's saying one thing. Uh, he goes on to talk about the fact that um, risky investment assets like U.S. stocks um, are are very dangerous to hold right now. He says the the fund because of the fact that the um, stimulus there's they're running out of stimulus to do. So he says one thing is clear in the beginning of the attempt. To bring the fiscal deficit under control, or at least start to address it. When you raise taxes and cut spending, whatever the combination is uh, going to be, you will have headwinds for the economy. The economy is really being supported. This isn't just in the United States. It's also in Japan, the ECB, and Britain. Uh, the problems, you're going to have weak economic growth. What that means is you're in an economic environment that is going to have further trouble in terms of investing returns that are in areas that are based on economic growth and areas that do relatively well, like bonds. Broadly speaking, I think investors should be looking for lower prices on most risk assets in developed countries, with the exception of Japan. Investors should be looking for potential inflationary consequences uh, of all this money printing exercise. And he goes on to say, uh, you know, that he recommends if you're not going to be a short-term trader to navigate in all this, uh, you've got to survive with virtually no return and um, you've got to put all your money in cash is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says you make 80% of your money and 20% of the time investing and you have to be patient. I see some values in the, some of these foreign markets. I don't see a lot of value in the United States market and I think you have to play it safe in the U.S. bond market with funds that are really dedicated to having low volatility. Um, and so the fiscal cliff, he just kind of goes through the little bit of the math in terms of what we're uh, spending about $3.6 trillion, Ethan. Right. They're collecting $2.3 trillion, so we got about $1.3 trillion deficit. And some of the proposals, um, you know, like if you're talking about uh, – um, $20 billion of revenue um, with some of the increases. So, you know, you're, you're, you've got a huge shortfall, basically. And we've talked about the fiscal cliff. It's got to get worked out. Yeah. But um, the next article is on, posted on the same site. So we have, for him, we'll put this in the vault, that he's basically saying, stay out of stocks and put all your money in cash because we're in for bad news. We've got a few seconds, it looks like, and then we'll come back even. But to start, the other one is the best, the best five investment picks. And same date on the same website that you forwarded. Um, stocks, not bonds, will likely f- be featured as the best investment picks for 2013, hmm. is the headline on that one. Both the uh, Merrill, B of A Merrill and the S&P Capital IQ predict that the S&P We'll hit the 1600 mark in 2013. Wow. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and continue reading through some of the predictions for 2013. Empirical Investing Radio, we'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host Ethan Broga alongside Ken Smith here. Um, if you'd like to join the program today, feel free to give us a call or, or shoot us an email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or 866-472-5790. And uh, Ken, we're just starting. Our, niner zero. Oh, sorry, did I hear a niner in there? I love those. Yeah, so we're just uh, in the first section of the show. You recapped uh, uh, an article that uh, – had sound like some some dire predictions, at least in terms of what classic classes to avoid, what you should be doing with your money right now for yes. 2013. Yes, uh, your friend Jeff Gundlach uh, saying put all your money in cash for right. 2013, I guess. Right. And within the same website, uh, Advisor One, article by Joyce Hansen, she cites what analysts are projecting and at Merrill Lynch and uh, S&P Capital IQ. They pr- both predict that the S&P will hit... Sixteen hundred and two thousand. Um, right now, it's about fourteen forty-one, Ethan. So right. that is about an eleven percent uh, bump from where we are if we close the market. That even is where we are today. Right. So that's uh, a lot different than. Um, first of all, it's a lot different than what people were projecting earlier this year. So even the people who are now projecting positive return next year, yeah. uh, I think they've adjusted their expectations. And I have to wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that you know we've had a 17% S&P return this year. Right. Um, we'll talk about that with another article here, which is um, citing some of the studies on the um, – they call dumb money effect, the effects of investor sentiment on fund selection – and their subsequent investment returns of individual investors out in the market. Right. And I want to relate that to these articles, Ethan. Um, but they go on in this article, and I don't want to bore you with every detail of it, to select what are the best. So you have the broad market prediction here of 11% positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I think would both be very happy if that if that happened. Sure. Uh, for our clients and that are invested in equities. Um but then they go on to say, where, where, where should you be invested? Okay, and um, 
number one, they're picking U.S. housing. And uh, Peary of Hennessy Cornerstone likes the housing subsector with the consumer durables sector, specifically names U.S. home builders, including Standard Pacific and KB Homes. Year-to-date total returns as of December 12th came to 114%, Ethan, for SPF, and a whopping, can I get a whopping sound, Simon? A whopping uh, 129% for KBH. So I want to make sure I get this right. Oh, okay. I want to make sure I understand this. I do, so too. The year-to-date too. returns for 2012 for those the SPF and KBH, those are the ones he's currently recommending as a buy, yep. are up 114% this year-to-date. Those are some pretty sexy returns. And 129% year-to-date. That's incredible. Very sexy. Wow. I mean, that's that's very high. That makes me. It's so high, it makes me nervous a little bit. Like I'm surprised that. Let's not get too high. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, after things go I up, after things go up 100, percent is that the time they usually just jump in? I just, I'm just curious. Well, know. it is interesting because that's their number one projection for next year, which to me sounds like uh, a very dangerous it's, approach. And, and the same old story. The reason why I brought up the next article, keep this in mind as yeah. we move to this next discussion. Okay. So we'll put this in the vault, and we'll see at the end of the year what, what uh, I hope the market does 11%, even better. Yeah. We don't make those kind of short-term projections, but... Uh, um, we'll see where the um, we've done this exercise almost every year, and almost every year they've been wrong. Yeah. In terms of which sectors actually turn in the greatest results, right. and we said so far this year it's international real estate that's up thirty percent. Bingo. And none of the articles we were reading doesn't mean they weren't out there, but none of them in the broadly publicized uh, journals were saying international real estate is going to turn in thirty percent next year. Right. Um, Number two on their list uh, is global consumers, global consumer uh, sector. And um, both Morgan Stanley, chief investment strategist, and MFS president um, mentioned U.S.-based Johnson & Johnson as a company which, with U.S. headquarters, which offers access to the three fast-growing um, I lost my page here, Ethan. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. It's not quite on the next page. It's on the same page. Access to three fast-growing oh, markets. Oh, markets, consumer staples, healthcare, and emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And um, similarly, the CIO for Morgan Stanley, um, Charles Reinhard, thinks global equities are currently unloved and under-owned, and he likes what he calls global gorillas, consumer sector companies such as Pepsi, Tesco, Nestle, that sell a lot of products to the growing middle class and emerging markets. So, number three, health healthcare stocks. Number four, real assets and emerging markets. And number five, they pick as PIMCO Total Return ETF, which is kind of an actively managed uh, ETF that primarily, I believe, invests in fixed income instruments, with the objective to beat, you know, the overall benchmark of bonds. Um, so how you know? First of all, Ethan, these are differing views in the same two different people. One guy saying get out of the market, get cash. The other group saying stocks are your best opportunity, and then outlining the top um, five asset classes, with number five being the total return fixed income yeah, ETF. Right. Um, 
how do you how do you reconcile all that? Yeah. So you're you're the average investor, and you're coming across articles. If you only read one article, say you you only had time to read one article, uh, <laughs> right? One blog, one headline on Yahoo Finance or Wall Street Journal, or whatever. How do you interpret this? This is the real key. Here's the learning lesson here. Um, what do you do with that information, Ethan? Well, I mean, you have to be aware of the biases that go into choosing what articles you read anyways. So if you're inclined to be – you're pessimistic by nature. You think there's just too much bad stuff going on in the world right now. You're inclined to probably take more consideration of the article that says, hey, things are going to be going to be bad, if that's mm-hmm. your viewpoint anyways. Alternatively – if you think things are going to be good, you're just generally uh, an optimist or you, you find it easy to ignore, ignore bad news, you might be inclined to go with the article that says, oh, hey, things are going to be good. But in reality, neither one is appropriate. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing because either one could be wrong. So what, okay. you need, what you ought to be doing, and most people, I think everybody should be doing, um, is making portfolio adjustments based on their own situation and not predictions of future events. That's what I would say. Okay. Amen. What do you think? Well, I agree, Ethan. I think that sitting down and, and having a well-defined strategy that that addresses your very specific your very specific situation and your specific preferences and risks um, is a far better approach than letting headlines guide you. That particularly headlines that tend to match what your emotional feelings are. Right. Because as we've shown, if we've shown anything, and I looked at how long we've been doing this radio stuff, it's been five years now, Ethan. Did you say five years? It's January of uh, 2008. We have archives of our really? programs and stuff. And for the five it's years we've time. been doing this, we've kind of been tracking these kinds of things. Yeah. And w- one common uh, theme is that they do tend to be wrong. <laughs> uh, so even the positive articles, right? Even if stocks do well... If you were to follow the advice, at least historically speaking, and put your money into housing because last year these areas did 100 and plus percent, we, you and I both know that the next year we'll be having a talk and it'll be typically one of the bottom performing asset classes. Right. Not in every case. Sometimes, you know, even a blind squirrel gets a nut occasionally. Occasionally. Um, A broke clock is right twice a day, right, Ethan? Something of that effect. Right. there will be some of these that come by because so many people are making them, but you have to filter it out. And if, at the very least, you need to make it the very least important part of your process, reading predictions and news articles and picking up money magazines and 10 best ideas and all of that kind of stuff, if you're going to engage in, should be the very smallest. So if you had a million dollars, to put that in an example, Ethan, that should be about $10,000 worth of your attention. Right. The other $990,000 should be focused on the more important issues when investing, and that is embracing the fact that investment markets are extremely, in the short term particularly, unpredictable even. Mm-hmm. You cannot predict them. Professionals, the smartest people in the world, are frequently wrong. It's a fact. It's inarguable. Right. It's undisputable. Agreed. And among us here, it's true. <laughs> so it's true. why would you engage in that? Why would you let that lead your um, decision-making process? If you know it's fundamentally flawed, why? Yeah, exactly. Why, Don't why do would you, it. You Stop engaging in this stuff. Right. So, um, 
secondly, trying to – it's one thing stocks and bonds, but trying to pick out, again, the particular sectors or then getting confused between a sector of the market and an investment. So if you're saying, hey, I think U.S. stocks are going up, and then the next recommendation is buy this particular brand fund of investment that's actively managed. Those are kind of different things, right? Mm-hmm. So can be about very confusing there. Um, if you are going to participate in global market growth, we were saying this before the beginning of last this year, own a globally diversified portfolio that has literally thousands of securities and never expose yourself to risk that you don't have the time to take in terms of your holding period or the the tolerance or the ability to withstand. Um, those are key things. We're going to have to take a quick break, Ethan, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll come back and, and uh, dive into more of these articles and make some other very valid and good points about what to do in 2013. If you want to call us here at the show today, 866-472-5790, or shoot Simon an email, contact at empiradio.com. And if you want to give us a call offline here at the office, anytime, 1-800-923-4307. So, take a quick break. Be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We're back, Empirical Investing Radio. Uh, Ethan Broga alongside Ken Smith here in the Empirical Towers downtown Seattle. Uh, we're about to enter our last, we are entering the last segment of our radio program for today. And I think we're going to cover an article that appeared uh, on the Advisor One website. Yeah, we're, we're really um, focusing on that today. Yeah, indeed. Highlighting their website here. Yeah, well, we have so many articles there, and they're, they're very handy to 
to look over for advisors like us, but also handy to share sometimes with people uh, like you folks on, on, yeah, on good the airwaves. Times, good times. So much we want to talk about, but uh, always so little time. Um, maybe we need to expand this to a four-hour program, even Daily, maybe. Uh, daily would be good. <laughs> okay, well, this one is beware, beware the dumb money effects uh, of investor sentiment on fund selection investment returns. And uh, what I do like about it is that they cite some academic study hmm. rather than an investment guru's opinion about the stock market. Let's look at the empirical data on the results of how investors have been choosing their, their investments, Ethan. All right. And how, how have they done? Um, so I'll just try to skim through this, you know, the way I do. <laughs> I, think, I think so. <laughs> mutual fund investors exhibit remarkable skill when selecting mutual funds. Remarkably awful, that is. This track record is notable since many professional fund managers have difficulty achieving investment performance that differs consistently from the market. For the average investor, however, net flows into mutual funds reveal an uncanny ability to consistently select the worst fund categories at the worst possible times. Investors feel most comfortable investing in overvalued sectors at the tail end of a bull market and flee to safety when stock prices are at their lowest. That's a general truism. A truism. Yes. As it is. Yeah. First identified by researchers Andrea Frazzini and Owen Lamont, now respectively at NYU and Harvard. There are no slouches, Ethan. No, they seem like intellectual giants from this perspective. The poor timing ability of fund, inve- of fund investors has come to be referred to as the, quote, dumb money effect. No personal offense to you, Ethan. <laughs> None taken. (laughs) Emotion, limited attention, misguided perceptions, and inexperience lead investors to sentiment-driven investment. This tendency is to invest more in funds with high positive sentiment. For example, technology stocks in the late 90s. And to pull out of funds with high negative sentiment. For example, liquidating, liquidating stock funds in 2008 and moving to bond funds. This has led fund investors to lose, on average, about 1.5% annually. According to a 2007 analysis by Jeffrey Friesen of the University of Nebraska and Travis Sapp of Iowa State. Pausing there momentarily, a lot of times people ask about, we had a little, we had a little uh, caucus here last show about the management fee. Yeah. And now I was saying, hey, don't get too crazy with comparing the expenses of the underlying funds with paying a professional fee only you know fiduciary type advisor mm-hmm. fees to keep you on the right to actually build the portfolio um, what you want if if you're the painter right is sure you want them to have uh, you know if you're buying the picture you don't want them to overpay for the materials or the parts and charge it to you but you need quality stuff you know, at the best price you can possibly get. But the real magic is is in the painter. You're not buying the paints, right? You know, yeah. the, the the cost of the artwork, right? Right. Or the value in there is not necessarily the paints. And the, the funds or those are basically the paints, right? What you're paying for is the expertise to create that vision. And that vision for us or that picture for us is creating the financial picture, and making sure that what they what the individual wants is what they wind up getting. 
right. to put on their wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're losing 1.5% annually because, you, because you're making poor investment decisions, that gives you a lot of room, right? Where you could pay someone 1%, keep a half a percent, and not do all the work, and more importantly, eliminate a lot of the, the very dangerous, catastrophic risk you're exposing yourself to during this. And this is average, right? That's a lot. This is an average. So there are those uh, that obviously it's a lot more than 1.5% per year on average. So let me proceed on and help illuminate what this issue is, Ethan. Can I? May I? I think you should. Okay. Well, you think it's a good idea? Understanding investor sentiment provides insight as to why most fund investors underperform the market. It also explains how an advisor can help an investor improve their performance by avoiding sentiment pitfalls. Frazzini and Lamont identified stocks that received excess inflow and outflow from mutual fund investors between 1980 and the year 2003. If investors were dumping large amounts of money into tech stock funds in 1999, they tracked the impact that these flows had on the percentage of stock held by retail mutual fund investors. If the amount of money flowed into the stock via retail mutual fund investment, they shorted the stock. They went long on stocks that saw large outflows of mutual fund investor cash. So in essence, in this in this uh, exercise, Ethan, they're wagering you know both positive and negative mutual investor uh, mutual fund investor sentiment. They were wagering that their that their sentiment was wrong. So when people were buying like crazy into certain stocks simply because they had gone up, and I said. Let's tie that back to the prediction we just saw. People start loading into housing stocks simply because they went up 100% last year. Yeah. Um, they then sold those stocks. If they were pouring out of it, the particular, then they, they, they were buying the stocks in the example in the study. And ultimately what they found out is that they, they, uh, were able to create a riskless excess return of 10% per year. But it was only over a three-year holding period. I see. So don't get all crazy about, hey, I want to try to exploit this. The market's pretty efficient about that, working those things out. I don't know that it would be an exploitable investment, but it does help send the, the message of how bad investors are getting it. I think it'd be tough to know uh, all the flows yeah. in, in aggregate in time enough to take advantage. Right. It, well, it's easier when you have the hindsight data because then yeah. you can run the study on it right. and say, hey, money – Came out of the mutual fund. The mutual fund was investing in these particular stocks. What if you had bought them at that time? Yeah. Right? So I'm saying in, yeah. in live, in the real world, you're not using past it. You're using now's data. You have to determine, right, when that when was the peak of that money coming out. So I don't know. That would be very difficult to get real live data. Obviously. Might be a little tricky. Yeah. A number of mutual fund researchers have noted that the average fund investor has not performed as well as the average fund. Friesen Sap compared time-weighted to dollar-weighted fund returns and found that the biggest performance gap occurred within the more speculative fund categories prone to investor sentiment. Aggressive growth funds saw a performance gap of 3% a year, while income-oriented fund categories had the smallest gap. The largest performance gap was the highest within funds that achieved the greatest risk-adjusted performance. This may be because the fund families are most likely to advertise smaller funds that have outperformed in order to attract new investor cash, and these subsequently underperform. 
So the gap they're talking about between dollar-weighted and time-weighted, uh-huh. if you're listening and you don't know the difference, is time-weighted is, is the assumption that you put a dollar in the investment and held it over the entire period, and you measure what the return would have done. So you say, what if I put the money back into this thing back in 2003 and held it to today, for example? Um, Dollar-weighted says, well, in reality, investors typically don't do that in mutual funds. They're either adding money or subtracting money at different times. So you have to adjust for the timing of when they put their money in. Um, Maybe they put a dollar in on January 1 of 2003, pulled it out in June, and put it back in in December, right? Yet now you have to, you can't just assume they held it the whole time. That's what the reality, or you said in the real world, people are doing, and that affects their return. And what happens is what you see is that the return gap that they're describing is the difference of, hey, if I just put the dollar in and let it stay there the whole period, I would have gotten X percent return, say it's 10%. But because I was in there monkeying around, I was putting the most amount of money after the fund had gone up significantly. Right. And after it began to go, after it went down, I started pulling money out. Instead of a 10% return, you might wind up with something like an 8.5% return. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the study above, right? Right. That's the gap between time weighted, putting in and keeping it there, and dollar weighted, which affects the actual cash flow in and out. That's right. What say you, Ethan? Well, I, I have an, uh, something to say on that. Okay, let's um, hear it. They, I've heard the study, and I wish I could recall the exact figures, but basically most, well, nearly all mutual funds, uh, all except the one that I know of, which is which are DFA funds, Dimensional Fund Advisor mm-hmm, funds, mm-hmm. have a situation where the the time-weighted return, in other words, the published rate of return that you see on advertisements and things like that, is higher than the, the dollar-weighted returns, meaning the, the, the returns the investors of the funds actually got. That's so, true. So DFA is the only one that I'm aware of that actually has the opposite tr- effect, where the the time weighted returns, which again are the ones that are published, are actually lower than the returns actually received by the investors. True that, Ethan. Fair enough. Um, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to kind of skip through some of the key points. Hang on, I think Simon says we have one more segment. Is that correct? Oh, good, good. Let's so, just keep the segments rolling on all day long. So I, I'm the one to let you know we have one more segment okay. as well. But we took two breaks already. Is that is that where we're? I guess we're doing a, a four segment, not a three segment, like we had. We're having about. a bonus uh, bonus round. Time? Okay. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> <laughs> then I will. We will flog this horse a little longer. That's what I was getting at. Um, while chasing positive return was harmful, Ethan, <laughs> outflows from mutual funds were even more destructive. Buying the wrong funds cost investors, on average. Six basis points, which is six hundredths of a percent of a single percent per month. But selling at the wrong time reduced the fund investor returns by 15 basis points. Wow. So literally had double the impact. Yeah. So maybe that has to do with the fact, hey, when, when the when the tides are rising and you're chasing the hot funds, maybe they continue to do well for a while, right? But uh, when things are going down, right, selling out of the thing, like stocks as an asset class, um, can create, what was that? <laughs> Simon's working on, you know, the sound effects here. Um, recent performance is the force that drives dumb money losses from sentiment investing. This isn't surprising since mutual fund advertisements and fund prospectus 
tend to focus on illustrating how well the fund, the mutual fund has performed in the past. Most investors shop for funds the way they would for a cantaloupe. I pronounce it cantaloupe. And I love you like cantaloupes yeah. and various melons, Ethan. Sure. Instead of sniffing and tapping the, the fund fruit, <laughs> they try to find cues of quality such as fund family name recognition, a famous fund manager, a fund objective that sounds appealing and has <laughs> and past performance. No question about it. Um, so basically all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, um, as it says, you know, they're not sniffing and tapping the fruit. They're, they're just looking at the description of the fruit. If it has a sexy name, right, and a, and a, and a good connotation, they're more inclined to buy it. And it's interesting, this, this, um, weight that we put on the performance because the Yale, Yale researcher James Chow and his co-authors, David Lebson and Bridget Madrian of Harvard, they investigated how the average investor uses information on a mutual fund prospectus, and they used identical S&P 500 index funds, Ethan. Okay. Um, I think we need to take a break. Is that what we're saying? When we come back, I want to outline that, and okay. we'll proceed on. Great. You're listening to Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be right back. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here. Radio. I believe this is the last section of the show today, so um, this will be it for us this, <laughs> this afternoon. Before we get down to the rest of the show, though, I um, wanted to mention, if you'd like to visit our website, we've uh, been doing a lot of work there, or rather Simon has uh, uh, specifically. Excellent work, Simon. been building out uh, a bit of our... Thank you. There's Thank you. Different blogs uh, on a variety of different topics. Lots of uh, resources that um, have things like quartered letters that we've written in the past. 
uh, which I think are very, very good. Well, let's see what's in the mail. We also have uh, uh, recently produced a, a video presentation on the five secrets of retirement success. Uh, so there's this and more on our website. Feel free to go there and check it out if you like. It's uh, empiricalfs.com, uh, soon to be just empirical.net. All right. So kind of exciting. Very, very exciting, Ethan. Very exciting. Thank you for that. No problem. I was uh, I was knee deep here into this uh, investor sentiment study, and we're we're reading from uh, an article on Advisor One, the Advisor One webpage. Um, November, uh, actually, this is from November, but you know we got a backlog of material here, Ethan. So so much information. We're doing what we so can. So little time. We're doing what we can, and. Uh, I was talking about the Yale, uh, Yale and Harvard researchers and what what they were doing uh, when they they put together um, two sample funds that were prospectus on both funds being identical S and P five hundred index funds. Are you with me? I am. And what they did is they put different fund initiation dates. So it's the same fund, just happened to start at different times. Exactly. And the and the, and the the purpose of that is if you start them at different times and you run a since inception performance number, mm-hmm. the numbers will be different. So they're the exact same fund, but if you had one fund start in January of two thousand one and one fund start in January of two thousand three, you're going to have significantly different results. No doubt. To today, if all you looked at was this inception. Inception, right? Now, brace yourself and listen closely. Uh, I think I should sit down for this. Okay. In addition to the prospectus, they gave respondents in different groups a cheat sheet that summarized differences in fund fees, and another spelled out how the objective of all funds was to mimic the S&P 500. Samples of both uh, both employees and Wharton MBA students with average SAT scores at the 98th percentile. That's pretty high. So these are... These are some sharp individuals. That's amazing, yeah. Consistently, this group, these these uh, respondents or participants, uh, consistently, Ethan, they focused on the obviously irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Because it's the exact same fund. It's the same fund. Uh, fund performance, rather than on fund fees, even when presented with information, that should have helped them make better choices. Wow, that's pretty pretty wild. Wild, wacky stuff. But not surprising, though, right? No, we know that to be true in our own uh, our own world here, just as investment advisors. Um, yeah, time the time frame which you're measuring matters a lot, and often is irrelevant. Um, it mat- what matters typically are, are more things like what asset classes you choose to include, and also fund fees. So, Brad Barber of UC Davis and Terrence Odian of uh, Berkeley blame return chasing on the limited attention span of individual investors. According to their investor attention hypothesis, most of us have limited time to devote to researching mutual funds. We can either invest a huge amount of time and effort into learning how to evaluate and select funds, or we can simply invest in ones that capture our attention. The fact that the mutual, that mutual fund investors are attracted by the shiny funds does not serve them well in a market where sentiment can drive the value of securities too high or too low. Marketing mutual funds to investors who overemphasize recent returns means that fund families need to make sure they have 
individual funds in sectors with high recent performance. Since mutual funds can only invest within a universe of investments whose return is by definition average, this presents a challenge. One solution is to create high-performing funds through the process of incubation. This is good stuff. Brace yourself for this. we got to post this to our website, Tom. Yeah, I'm going to do a blog on this. This is a good one. We have a lot of blogs, so check our blog for, <laughs> for this stuff. No? Yeah, we okay. should. This is good. Okay. Um. <laughs> I don't know what has to do with anything, but I like it. <laughs> nice work. So. Is that Mr. Ed or something? <laughs> Mr. Ed. Is Ethan the Lone Ranger? Hi-ho, Silver. Uh, he, he dresses like a... Um, incubated... <laughs> is to, Where was I, Ethan? Incubated funds outperformed other non-incubated funds by 3.5% before being sold to the public. Now, what is an incubated fund? Incubated funds garner much more investor attention than non-incubated funds and receive higher, much higher investor inflows. However, once these funds leave the incubation stage, they subsequently don't perform any better than non-incubated funds. And since incubated funds are also included in mutual fund return databases, they're artificially high performance in the incubation stage, I like to say incubation, increases the dollar-weighted investor performance gap of 0.84% annually. Um, so uh, they don't define what an incubated fund is, but I happen to know. Um, Elaborate for us. Basically, I- mutual fund companies <clears throat> will launch, say they, they're trying to garner, using the psychology of investing, and I've, we've talked we've about, about this, this numerous all times. the time. We yeah. know that, that the investment product pushers and the broad Wall Street brokerage houses and wire, the wirehouses and all that stuff – Use your own psychology against you to your detriment to get your harder money out of, out, of, out of your pocket and into theirs. Right. And so they know you're, that most individuals are chasing performance. And so what they do is they might create 10 different funds as an example, put some seed money in these funds, but not have them out on the publicly traded market yet. So, so investors who want, wanted, even if they wanted to, couldn't invest money in these funds while they're in the, in, in the incubation stage. That's correct. Right. Out of the 10, what if one of the funds, because the law of the market averages means we can't all outperform, right? Right. But if I, if I owned, if I created subsets of portfolios of the total stock market, some of them will do better than the general market, right? Just by random chance. And some will do worse. So if I created these 10 funds and one of them did really phenomenally well, yeah. maybe all 10 of them actually did average or below the market minus their expenses but one of them did phenomenally well yeah maybe you bought standard pacific last year it was up 114% maybe i did maybe so yeah and and you do that and one this one that does well then you immediately close the other nine funds down you take the one fund and you you get morningstar to get to cover it it gets its five star rating you publish the returns and you publish it you advertise like crazy and people put money into it. Yep. The unfortunate research shows that by the time the, the investors get their money into it, it no longer really offers any significant outperformance, yeah. if any, at all. It, it, the, the, the excellent performance of the incubated fund garners lots of attention because it's very, yeah. very shiny, you know, like, like gold is. But in reality, you're getting fool's gold. You've just been incubated. <laughs> Something like that. That's a big deal out there. I don't think many people are aware of that. No. I think if we know it, and if we're sharing it, hopefully people are listening, the yep. more you know, the 
the better the decision making process. Right. And if you're working with an advisor, more importantly, knowing this, because we still think you should, knowing this will help you make sure that your advisor is doing the right thing. Right, exactly. Ethan, we've got very little time. What do you why don't you conclude here with some closing thoughts? Well, we'll get to the other articles I have. So many, so many to say. I think oh. we should post this to our website, Wonder. or you can write a blog. So go to our website, empiricalfs.com, uh, to read the whole article. And, yeah, can you get on top uh, of cho- it? This one is chock full of good information for the, those uh, individuals out there who are investing on their own. Or even if you're working with advisors, this is good information to, to know. Um, so empiricalfs.com. And uh, thanks for joining the show today. Anything else, Ken? I think that's it. If you want to get a hold of us during the week, again, you can call Ken Smith or Ethan Broga. As for us, we'd love, we would love to give you a free, non-obligatory, non-pressure overview of what you are currently doing uh, and give you our advice on how we would take different or reaffirm what you are doing if it's the right thing. Right. Approach. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Empirical Investing Radio. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.